0: Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. Take your Bibles and open up to Psalm chapter 30. Psalm chapter 30. And if you don't have a Bible with you, There should be one in the pew in front of you. And if you're using one of those, it's page 544, 544. We want to make sure that you can follow along with uh, the text that we're in today, because at the end of the day, one of the things I always like to remind us of is at the end of the day, it doesn't matter uh, what uh, Matt's opinion is. It matters what God's word says. And so we need to cling to what scripture says As the final authority for who we are and who we're called to be And at any point in time Here's the other challenge I like to come back to frequently with you all At any time If you hear something said from uh, This place That does not line up with what God's word says uh, You have a responsibility to come talk to myself Or one of our leaders To raise that concern Because ultimately, that's where we together are called to hold one another accountable to the truth that Scripture reveals. And if we're not careful, that can go sideways really quickly. And we want to make sure that we're holding fast to what Scripture tells us and not trying to add to or take away from that. But as we uh, have continued, we're going to be uh, in Psalms for the next month and a half. Through the month of August, we're going to be in... Uh, the book of Psalms, and my encouragement to you is don't just be in Psalms while we're here on Sunday, but read through the Psalms throughout the week too. It's a great way practically for us to engage together in what Scripture says, and I love the Psalms from a perspective that it reminds us how to praise God and remember who He is through every season of life. Through every season that we face, whether you're in the midst of a really joyful, exciting season, or you're in the pits today, uh, the book of Psalms is encouraging, challenging, equipping, and helpful for us. And we would be wise to come back to it frequently, which is why we're spending time in it this summer. Uh, as we step into Psalm chapter 30, though, I want to begin by us thinking through a question uh, that is important for us to uh, wrestle with And I'm, I'm putting this up here, but I honestly want you to respond uh, So it, it, I'm just out loud here in a minute uh, What keeps us? From praising the Lord, so I want you to brainstorm in day-to-day life as time goes on and as we face numerous different challenges or li- life happens What is it? That keeps us from praising the Lord. How would you respond to that? Business, right? What was that? Money. Hardships. Fear. Disappointment. Say that again. Good times, right? I let it happen. Distraction. Anger, sadness, social media, true story, pride, laziness, ooh, all right, we could could talk about this for a while, right, and ultimately, every one of us resonates with this at some level. To go, We can point to seasons in our life, maybe a season right now, where us praising the Lord is something that happens on Sunday morning, but outside of that, we just kind of go our own way and do our own thing. And it's all of those reasons. We we oftentimes kind of excuse that in a sense and say, well, we need to make sure we praise the Lord on Sunday. But the biblical narrative and the call for us as followers of Jesus is that an attitude of praise be an everyday reality. But I confess, along with most of you, that that is a, a lot easier to say and a lot easier to affirm than it is to live because of all of the reasons that we're given. And so the question is not simply what keeps us from praising the Lord, but should be followed with if we can identify what keeps us from praising the Lord, then how do I shift to a mindset where I am praising the Lord? Where I can identify and go, oh man, I'm in a season of hardship, I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm fearful, I am being lazy, I am distracted, fill in the blank, and then not stay there. And you know, that is what the journey of sanctification, that's a big word, sanctification is. It's this journey of me moving from where I am today to where God wants us to be. In the future, it's this ongoing journey from point A to point B, and we can easily become stuck along the way and just become content in our being stuck. So we're going to look at Psalm chapter 30 and the psalmist here, which is David, a psalm of David and actually a song that was sung at the dedication of the temple, uh, Articulates a, a, a season Of hardship from his own life And we aren't given much detail about the season But we can pull apart Enough to see What he's talking about Look at verse 1 with me It says I will extol you O Lord For you have drawn me up And have not let my foes rejoice over me O Lord my God I cried to you for help And you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored my life from among those who go down to the pit. Now, recognize in this, who is the object of David's praise? It's the Lord, isn't it? We see this repeated. I will extol you, O Lord. For you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help. You have healed me. You have brought up my soul from Sheol. That's a a big word for the place of the dead. So we can articulate from this that David was to a point uh, of near death. And he sees the redemptive hand of the Lord. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. His object of praise is the Lord. Now, it's very easy for us to look at ourselves as the victors through the hardest seasons of life. We go through a really difficult season. We really challenged, whether it be by grief or loss or Personal trial or you fill in the blank and our our greatest tendency our Cultural tendency is to be a people who come on the other side and they go Look at me Look at what I've risen above Look at what I've accomplished Everyone follow my example Now in no way am I saying that it's wrong for you to celebrate the victories, because I know there's many of you have stories of powerful redemption, of God working in miraculous ways to literally save your life, or to draw you out of a despairing situation of which you saw no exit. And yet, we need to answer the question, when I have been redeemed, Who will I praise? One of the greatest tendencies is for us to seek the Lord when we're going through those storms. And then when we come out on the other side, we kind of go, oh, thanks, God. All right. Hey, everyone, look what I did. Look at me. And yet the psalmist here reorients the thought to say there is only one who has brought me up. There's only one. Who has redeemed me and saved me and put me back on my feet. Therefore, I will extol or I will praise who? I will praise you. And not only will I praise you in secret, but I will tell other people. God is the one who we should praise for what has happened in my life. He is the one who is worthy to be extolled and praised. Not me. Because if left to my own self and my own devices, I would have ended up in the pit. I would not have survived. This praise of God invokes an exhortation of praise to the rest of the saints. Look at verse 4. It says, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints. And give thanks to his holy name For his anger is but for a moment And his favor is for a lifetime Weeping may tarry for the night But joy comes with the morning Amen? We sang this earlier Uh, The weeping may tarry for the night But joy comes in the morning Sing praise to who? Him, right? Everyone say him Sing praise to him. Give thanks to his holy name. Another way that that's translated in some manuscripts is uh, give thanks to the memorial of his holiness. In other words, look back at who God has revealed himself to be consistently over and over and over again. And then praise him. Praise Him together, not just in an individual basis, but corporately. There is a needed place, family, for corporate worship and individual worship. That is, there should be individual commitment to praise the Lord every day as we look at His workings. As we as we think about uh, what the psalmist said when he said, All creation declares the glory of the Lord. We should be able to step out and see creation and go, I'm going to extol you, Lord. We should be able to look at one another as brothers and sisters in Christ from so many different backgrounds and see a unity and go, we're going to praise you, Lord. We're going to extol your name. We're going to lift high your name. Why should we do that? Sing praise the Lord, O you his saints. Give thanks to his holy name. Why? For His anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Now, this is a really interesting statement. And the reason it's interesting is because culturally uh, we really like to paint God in a light that aims to convince people of God's likability more than his sovereignty. I'm going to say that again. Culture would really like us to paint God in some light where he is more likable than he is sovereign. What do we mean by that? Well, if I paint God in a likable way, then I'm never going to talk about God and his anger. And yet the Bible talks about the wrath of God. The Bible talks about the judgment of God. The Bible talks about God's righteous anger. Now, if you just come up to a random person who does not believe, does not know the Lord, sometimes you come up to a person who does know the Lord and you talk about the anger of God and you might get a response like this. Well, my God isn't that way. Or you might get a response that sounds like this. Well, that is really the God of the Old Testament. And in that response, you should say, have you read the book of Revelation? Right. And yet we don't often pause to consider that, in fact, the Lord is perfectly just, but he is also a God who will not let us stay where we are. Another countercultural claim. Culture would say God made you the way you are, so stay that way. Be the best you you can be. Wrong. Wrong. Be the person God's called you to be And so the piece of that you look at Proverbs 3 We often memorize the first part of Proverbs 3 Because it paints God in this likable way This is a perfect example of this we, we memorize Trust in the Lord with all your heart Do not lean on your own understanding In all your ways acknowledge Him And what? He will make straight your paths What an awesome verse And yet Just further, what does it say? My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. By the way, this is the verse that's quoted in Hebrews 12 when it talks about relishing the discipline of the Lord. Proverbs one, seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 15, 5. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. So here's what we come to God, in his sovereignty, knows what we need far beyond what we do in the same way that. Godly parents are to know what their children need far beyond what they do. Now, I fully, I say that that way because there's many people within our church family who've experienced parents who didn't care or parents who have not taken up that helm and not cared for their children in the way that God calls them to. This, this happens all over the world. But let me just shift gears and say our Heavenly Father is not that way. But in fact is sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful and in so doing, when He disciplines it is a way to say, I love you enough not to leave you in the place you are. I love you enough to not allow you to walk headlong into destruction. But we don't talk about this because we'd rather tell people, God just loves every bit of you the way it is. Family, the psalmist here is praising God, recognizing that His anger or His discipline is not long-lasting. But in fact, His favor is forever. This correlates directly to the promise of eternity with God through Christ. The very reason we have need for a savior to begin with being separated from God because of our sinfulness. Any way that we've missed the mark of God's holiness, we're sinners. All right. Every one of us is a sinner in need of God's redemptive grace. He has given us that in Jesus So that we can identify and say. The discipline of the Lord is temporary. The anger of the Lord is temporary. But his favor is for a lifetime. This is proven to be true. Most evidently to us in the example of Christ. This was written long before Jesus was ever on the earth. And yet the psalmist identifies this aspect of God's character. That we're so prone to miss. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. You know, one of the greatest examples of that we celebrate every year on Resurrection Sunday. Weeping may tarry for the night, but boy, the morning of the third day, joy abounds. Why? It's not simply because Jesus died and rose. It's because of what that meant. It meant that God had power over death itself. And therefore, if God has power over death, what doesn't he have power over? The answer is nothing. The thing that we have no power to control, death itself, God himself has overcome. So that we can rest and rejoice and praise the Lord in a hope given to us in Christ. Now, from praising God's rescue to reminding the saints of God's discipline, we're left with a wrestling of what was this season in David's life? What brought about such raw emotion in this song that was written and sung? Look at verse six and seven. It reveals some more to us. As for me. I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. Now, I'll be honest with you. I sat in these two verses longest this week, simply out of conviction. Over and over again, reading that statement in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. And I sat there and I thought, this is who we are in our Western culture. In my well-being and my success, I will not be moved. And we say this as a people. We will not be moved by anything because look what we have built And yet it's one of the most dangerous statements we could ever make. The psalmist identifies this and goes, By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. It's through the favor of God that there's any amount of prosperity at all. When we prosper, family, we are most prone to become dependent on self. When we prosper is when we are most prone to say, I got this. I'm doing really well. Let me drive, Jesus. Let me drive. And here's here's the reality of what scripture reveals. The Lord allows prosperity, but he will not stand for idolatry. The Lord allows prosperity. He will allow people to prosper. In fact, it says he allows both the righteous and the wicked to prosper. But he will not stand for idolatry. If we are more dependent on prosperity, more specifically, if we are more dependent on the prosperity that the Lord allows than on the Lord himself, then we allow idolatry into our lives. From the very beginning, God stated that you were to have no other gods before Him. None. We talked about this in, in a, a side conversation way in our Sunday school class this morning, in recognizing that the passions and desires the Lord has given you are for His purposes. But easily what we do is we make it about our wants. And in so doing, we become idolaters who serve that aim rather than serving the Lord. Uh, family, we are really prone to do this here. We're really prone to say, look at look at who we are and look at what we've built. And, and I, I become so fearful of any language that steps into that that realm of things, because we do nothing apart from the grace and sovereignty of God. We could do nothing apart from him. Therefore, no matter what happens, our primary focus has to be, God, we simply want to walk in faithful obedience to what you have called us to do and who you've called us to be as a church. And then the Lord will provide according to what we need. Not what we want, but what we need. So... A follow-up question to this and identifying that it's often our prosperity and our well-being that leads us to take our eyes off of the Lord. How do we prevent this from happening? Well, one of the questions we need to ask here is you see in verse seven. Uh, that the Lord turns his face away. He hides his face And what's the response of the psalmist here? He was what? Dismayed. Everyone say dismayed. So a question we have to ask in this is uh, if God turns his face away and my prosperity starts to crumble, am I dismayed or am I disgruntled? Right. Am I dismayed at the fact that I have lost my way in fixing my eyes on the Lord? Or am I just disgruntled because I'm losing the things that I'm clinging to? Where am I at in this? I pray that we would be a people who are actually dismayed and seek to shift our gaze back to the one who allowed us to prosper in the first place. And my, what would change if we walked in a humility like that? Now, I want you just briefly put your finger in Psalm 30 and turn over to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, the longest psalm in all of the psalms. But when we're seeking to answer the question, how do we prevent allowing prosperity or idolatry to enter into our lives? What do we do? Psalm 119 verses 9 through 16 answers this question in a very clear way. It says in verse 9 of Psalm 119, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to what? Your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from what? Your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We want to know how we prevent ourselves from going down a path of destruction that's rooted in our own desires. Fix your eyes on the word of the Lord and what God has called us to do. Once again, I will say it's a whole lot easier to say that and read it than it is to do it. This is why we need community family to remind us that this is where we go to help steer us back where we need to be. When we are prone to idolatry and our personal passions, we're prone to chase after this. A simple way to reveal this, I heard that, I actually read this illustration in a book recently, and I did not like this illustration because of how it made me feel, but it was really good, so I'm going to share it with you all. I often encounter people who would say, I, sh- I struggle to read or memorize scripture, uh, and so we—they just don't. they just don't. They don't do it. Now, set aside for a minute the fact that we live in a technological age where it is easier than ever for anyone in our country to have access to the Word of God. Most people have not one, but multiple copies of Scripture uh, in their homes. But outside of that, you literally can hit play and someone will read the Bible to you. It's so easy. And if you don't, if you struggle to read and you don't know how to do that, come talk to me, please. It's so simple. Most people can Google a passage of scripture and you do that. You can find anyone who, you can find someone reading that passage of scripture for you. We have we have no excuse to expose ourselves to the word of God. But here's here's where this happens. Here's where this shifts a little. Okay. What would you say or what would you do if I came to you and I said, brother, sister, I'm going to give you a thousand dollars for every verse you memorize this week. Now, I don't care how knowledgeable you are, how old or young you are. If I offered a thousand dollars for every single verse you memorize in a week, I know what you'd be doing all week long. All week long. Because you're going, this is... Here's, here's what we're saying in that moment. This is worth so much more to me than anything else in my life right now. Now, here's where this gets really challenging and convicting. Psalm 119, 71 and 72. It is good for me that I was, aff- that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. I read that this week and I wept, church family, because I wept because I realized how easy it is for me to check a box and not simply sit to know my Heavenly Father. How easy it is for me to prioritize so many other things and then I get frustrated when I feel like God is taking things from me And yet, he's simply seeking to draw me back to the only one that I need. He's simply revealing in my own life the idolatry that I'm prone to pursue after. The things of this world, the things that don't last. And he's calling me to fix my eyes above where nothing changes. Where he's the same. The psalmist realizes this. He realizes this. And in the midst of his dismay, he cries out, to the Lord, but not in the way we might think that He would. He says, To you, O Lord, I cry. This is verse 8 of Psalm 30. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me, O Lord, be my helper. When facing deep trial, how often do we appeal to God on the basis of his praise and faithfulness? To say, Lord, sustain me, because how can I praise your name and your faithfulness if I'm dead? How can I glorify you if I am no longer here? And so often when we pray, it's the other way. Lord, please. Uh, return to me this thing that I love. Lord, please return to me my health. Return to me my well-being. Return to me my job. Return to me my income. Return to me my savings account. My functioning vehicle. You fill in the blank, right? And in the moment, in no part of that, are we most prone to say, Father, renew me so that I can praise your name even more. Restore me so I can declare your faithfulness even more than I have. And that's why we're most prone to praise God in the seasons of good and cry out to him in the hard seasons. We, We lose sight of our number one responsibility, which is to glorify him who is responsible for anything that we have. The very breath in our lungs should remind us of his sustaining power. I love how this psalm ends, these last two verses. (laughs) It says, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh Lord my God, I will give thanks to you. Forever. What should this bring us to? When we consider the redemption of the Lord, it should drive us to resounding praise. When I read through this, I I boxed this these two verses in my Bible and I I wrote in the margins, This should describe us with an exclamation point. What do I mean by that? Well, you see, when we understand the gospel. This is. This should be what it leads to. The gospel being that you and I are sinners separated from God who have no hope. And yet God in His love and His grace sent His Son to die because of our sin. Christ willfully took up the cross knowing that His sacrifice was significantly more important than His life. He willfully took that up. That's what Philippians 2 reveals. That though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself taking the form of a servant, humbling himself to the point of obedience, even to death on a cross. Why? Because God so loved the world that he sent his son that anyone who believed could have eternal life. And then he didn't stay dead. He rose again to show God saying, I am more powerful than death, trust me. I conquered this, trust me. I've made a way for you to be with me despite your sinfulness, trust me. When we understand that family, regardless of the season we're going through, we should be able to say, my goodness, father. In Christ, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. In Christ, you have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. So that my glory, a glory given to me that is not my own, but that of Christ, may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And that's what we sang a little bit ago. Ten thousand years and then forevermore, Lord that we might declare your glory and your praise, not our own. A people redeemed from sin and eternal death to hope and eternal life. Should be motivated to glorify the name of Him Who has been victorious in Christ And whose promises never fail It's the very root of the hope that we have, church family I'm going to ask the worship team to come We're going to prepare to Live this out practically together But I want to encourage you with something As we prepare to to go today Because here's what happens and I, I, I want you to know this When I say here's what happens I include myself in this. this Just because I'm teaching this to you Does not mean that I've mastered this I am in process the same as you We're walking this journey together Of seeking to become more like Jesus So if you're struggling with applying these things Join the club Hop on because it's a ride But there's no greater pursuit But here's what I want to encourage and exhort you with today In whatever season you are in, consider the salvation of the Lord. Consider the faithfulness of the Lord. Consider the mercy of the Lord. He has not given us what we deserve. And then praise and give thanks to Him in abundance. And I'm going to challenge you to do that today, even over lunch. You go and you share lunch, whether it be with your family, with friends, with other people. I want to encourage you to take a portion of your time and just share testimonies of where you can give thanks to the Lord for who he is and what he has done. And I want you to avoid in that time just saying, I praise the Lord that I've been able to. None of that language. I want us to reflect what the psalmist said. Lord, I stole you. You have made this happen. Here's what you have done. Here's where we've seen you work and you perform things that we never thought possible. You are the one we praise. Initiate that time today. But then don't let it end there. Take intentional time each day to pause, even if it's just between you and God, and to praise Him for who He is. That together we might praise and give thanks to Him in abundance from this day forth and forevermore. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we recognize how prone we are to allow the prosperity of this world to distract us from your faithfulness, from your provision. And Lord, we see so clearly that you have made a way where there was no way in Christ. You have, Lord, redeemed those who believe, who put their faith in you, knowing there's no other way. And so, Lord, I pray over my brothers and sisters today that are wrestling in a season of hardship, not knowing maybe even where you are in the midst of it, and yet uh, yearning for freedom and salvation from this physical season that they're in. And I pray that they would be able to know the salvation that is found, the eternal salvation that is found in Christ. That we would be a people untethered from the world in a way that regardless of what you call us to we walk with our eyes fixed on you knowing that you will never forsake us Lord you will never let us down your purposes will always prevail may we be a people who glorify you above all else in the name of Jesus we pray Amen